Hi, I'm Sess Busby. Welcome to First Act, the podcast series brought to you by Koshi's Business Builders, where we chat to inspiring innovators across the startup and small business ecosystem. If you're looking for small business inspiration, you can find us at www.koshisbusinessbuilders.com.au or join us on Facebook. Hi everybody, Seth Busby here and today I'm chatting with Tyson Coe. Tyson is the man behind the Keep Sydney Open movement. He's the former programmer of ABC's ever-popular music show Rage. He's an occasional DJ and a consultant on the city's nightlife. He's also one of the honorees on our inaugural Koshi's Business Builders Power List. Welcome. Tyson, everyone probably is very familiar with you given the recent election bid by Keep Sydney Open. Mm. But um, I wouldn't mind going a step back, getting back into those origin stories. We all know the lockouts were the inspiration, but for you, what made you want to get into this movement of reactivating the city's nighttime culture? Yeah, well, it's kind of funny. I mean, why was this the issue that shook me out of my daily life and decided to become an activist? And and it's kind of funny. I do, I do question that myself sometimes, and I think it's because I realised how far-reaching the impact of the lockout laws would be. And it wasn't just something that affected being able to go out, but also a city's sense of self-worth, um, people's ability to connect, uh, make new friendships, be inspired, uh, the cultural impact, the, the impact on uh, jobs and small businesses. Um, and and also I think when we're talking about the nighttime space. We're talking about a sense of belonging for so many people uh, where potentially they're able to be inspired to do great things. I mean, I certainly know that I get a lot of inspiration sometimes late at night and meet new people and have great conversations where, you know, being able to connect with people in a limited amount of time after you finish work and then all of a sudden, okay, that's it, time to go home. Um, it's it's just not enough. It's not how a major city operates. So I wanted to do something about that. And uh, and also I, I saw particularly my background being involved in the music industry. I was the producer of Rage for over seven years. I could see how the music industry was being uh, really adversely affected and how uh, a lot of jobs in the sector, a lot of confidence in the sector um, was was really affected. So, um, so yeah, uh, I decided to start Keep Sydney Open. And also the other thing is I just saw that no one else was doing anything about it too. Yeah. So there was that element of stepping up when, when not many other people had. Yeah. And um, let's talk a bit more about your music producing. Um, obviously, there was that double blow for musos. There was the pokies, <laughs> which kind of wiped everything out like in the 90s and stuff and now just as the industry was getting back on its feet again and there was a really kind of solid sort of entertainment scene happening again and it kind of clawed its way back up and then the lockouts come along and they destroy all these precincts that are, are essential. How, how for you, someone who's actually in that industry, how far-reaching was the impact? Well, it was massive, you know, and that's not just uh... – anecdotal it's it's a it's a matter of evidence we've got the federally funded live music office which found that ticket revenue 
um, sales for uh, for the live music sector had been almost halved in two years after the lockout laws. And you're right. I mean, you know, a lot of people who are involved in the live music scene have long memories. Uh, remember a time when Sydney was um, a real hotbed um, of music. You know, in the in in the seventies and eighties. And and you're right. The, the pokies um, really transformed live music spaces where a lot of the VIP lounges and pokey dens that we take as being a given and part of Sydney's identity now used to be live music yeah. rooms and band rooms. Uh, and then, of course, yeah, the lockout laws, we saw uh, a trend away from live music and bands towards electronic music, and then that started to change again. And I think now it's, there's actually a really nice balance between the two. But just as the live music scene was starting to pick up a little bit, yeah, the lockout laws came into effect. Uh, and uh, venues shut down, uh, less places to go, and uh, and unfortunately, yeah, it's something that's going to take a little while to recover from. Mm. And let's talk a bit about that gentrification that's kind of happened because of this as well. You know, areas that like the Cross and and Darlinghurst that were traditionally the place where you know Bohemians, <laughs> for want of a better word, were gathered. Um, now, giant high rises being built apartments, like the whole nature of the city has changed. Well, that's right. It really has. Um, I think the chemistry of Sydney has changed, not necessarily for the better. There's still some wonderful things going on. But, uh, you know, I think if we're talking about cities in a global context, I mean, you know, we can't fool ourselves here. Gentrification um, is a global trend and we see that trend in cities around the world where it's usually artists and creatives that make an area desirable and then all of a sudden the real estate um, agents and the property developers move in and then they price out the people that made it attractive in the first place and then the artists and creatives get spread out uh, and and so yeah look it's not just Sydney but the lockout laws without a shadow of the doubt of a doubt have accelerated that whole process in a way in which I feel like Sydney doesn't have that creative and artistic um, identity anymore. And what we've been seeing is that a lot of people who are movers and shakers in the creative world have just had jack of it and they've moved away from Sydney. Either um, they've moved to Melbourne or they've moved to New York or Berlin, London. And, uh, and I think it is a real loss for the city to have this creative brain drain. And as a result, what happens? And, you know, I'm thinking about um, the small business and startup sector, exciting cities and ones that really offer that whole 360 experience that Sydney um, has the potential to again, which is, you know, we have great weather, we've got the beaches, we've got that real active lifestyle. But, you know, where is our sense of pride in our theatres and our live music venues and, you know, all those things that make a city um, complete. And, uh, and so what you get as a result of um, not nurturing our creative sector is you end up uh, pushing away the people who are inspired uh, by, by, by creativity in the arts and attracting people who perhaps aren't so inspired. And when we're talking about, I think, um, business innovation, um, we're talking about more than just hard workers, we're talking about more than just having an economics or a finance degree. You know, we're talking about people who get their ideas from um, from all sorts of different places, whether that be 
um, not just the business world, but also from nature or from literature and from music. And I think it's those cities that inspire people in a multitude of ways that have an edge over other cities. And that's what I really want to see for Sydney. Mm. It's interesting when you mention that as well, because you you think about um, the government's push for innovation and then the flip side of that, people's fear that, you know, the AI and the robots are going to take over. But so what people need are those soft skills, those creative skills, and yet there's not the support in that area from the government. Um, so how do you think just as individuals we can help nurture this? Mm. Yeah, well, look, that's that's actually a really interesting question and not for a second am I going to sit here and say that I've got all the answers, <laughs> but, you know, I do think that there's a double whammy here in Sydney and with the New South Wales government where not only is there very little active support in the same way that we've seen, say, for example, in Victoria, where I think they've just announced a quarter of a billion dollar fund for, um, for, for small businesses, uh, but also the regulatory climate in New South Wales is so... Uh, restrictive that it doesn't allow various sectors to build themselves up. Uh, and so I think, yeah, you know, we need to demand more out of um, our policymakers. And, um, and I definitely think that, um, you know, certainly, I guess, when we're talking about the business and creative sectors, you know, I mean, like, we are very resilient, really. And even though we're not being nurtured, um, you know, I mean, I'm thinking about the punk scene, which has been around since the 70s, and there is still gigs going on in, you know, warehouses and backyards. And, you know, um, there's always people um, who will find a way, regardless of what the climate is. But I just feel like we're not really reaching our potential. And so I think, um, I think what can we do? Look, I think that um, Sydney is the kind of place where you need to do just that little bit more then go about your day-to-day and go about your business, whether that be as a um, as an entrepreneur or whether that be as a creative, and set aside a little bit of time for activism in some way and whether that's for your industry or whether that's for some other kind of cause. I think it's important to step outside of yourself and mm. contribute to that public conversation and potentially to policymaking as well. Yeah. So... Um- you're kind of a bit of a reluctant activist. It, it was the what happened with the lockout laws that pushed you into moving for change. But um, did that kind of uh, civil unrest play any kind of part in your life growing up? Did your parents, were they like keen <laughs> activists? Or <laughs> You know what, they weren't. They weren't. But, but what my parents were, were individuals and very unique people with a unique story. Mm. Um, they both came to Australia um, essentially escaping various um, various geopolitical situations. My dad coming from Indonesia, but then as an ethnic Chinese person and uh, and Chinese people were um, targeted and victimized by uh, local Indonesians and particularly if they were successful with their businesses. So, uh, so my father came here during the white Australia policy and stuck it out. Uh, my mother um, left uh, because of the Islamic revolution in Iran uh, and they ended up working in the fashion industry and they were running small businesses from the time that I was born um, right up until just recently. Uh, and so I think that 
that story of, you know, coming to Australia and finding your own way through, you know, independence and, and, and hard work, I think does inspire me. And, uh, and I think um, also, you know, maybe not so much um, my family background, but I think just always being um, involved in the creative sectors, whether that be in the musical visual arts mm. um, uh, scenes in, in Sydney, I think has really inspired me. You know, there's a lot of people who are very progressive in their thinking. Um, there are a lot of activists um, in those scenes. And, yeah, I think I've just always been the person who, you know, if I don't like something, I don't like to just complain about it. I do like to do something about it, even if it's just a way to channel my own frustrations. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's no textbook for being an activist and, um, you know, in the same way that I don't think there's really a textbook for being an innovator um, in the business sector. You know, I think, um, I think it's something that you find out through trial and error um, from having mentors and speaking to people and just giving it a go. Um, and, uh, and certainly, yeah, you know, since the lockout laws and, as I say, the issue is so much more than just... Um, nightlife and and the laws themselves and so yeah you know I've been really I guess awakened in a way to all these other issues that are going on in our city and um and how we interact as Sydney siders with each other and how we can improve those relationships. Mm. Um, Did you think when you started Keep Sydney Open you know that five years on that the battle would still be going like I imagine like what I thought myself, it'll be like Melbourne, it'll be a trial, people will go, ah, it's awful, and then the government will give way. <laughs> That's right. But here we are. Did I think they would still be around after half a decade? Absolutely not. In fact, you know, um, taking Melbourne as an example, I think they introduced the lockout laws and they protested and within three months they were gone. And that's what I thought was going to happen here. So I thought all I had to do was start a group, organise a rally, um, have it, um, have it, um, you know, gain some some traction. And, and it was. It was one of the biggest single-issue rallies um, ever in Sydney with 15,000 people. Um, but they're still here. And so with that, we've had to find um, different ways of lobbying, different ways of activating various communities um, we have started a political party now, um, which is, to my mind, one of the first political parties um, started by millennials, really, um, in in the country. So um, we only um, embarked on that because the government wasn't listening. So we kept thinking, okay, well, they're not listening to the rally, they're not listening to the petitions, they're not listening to... Um, meetings in their offices so so what do we do and and yeah we're a political party now we are still fighting um there are signs of the lockout laws um being potentially wound back as a committee has just been announced by the state government and uh and in the meantime yeah you know i mean like we got over eighty thousand votes in our first election yeah. and we'd only been a political party for one year which was which was amazing and and uh, and so you know, it's well and truly a movement now. For some people, it's just about the lockout laws, but for other people, it it is more than just that. It's about looking at politics in a different way and going, well, why should we leave it up to the red and blue teams to battle it for, you know, 
the lesser of evils, you know. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and 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 surely there's there's some other kind of um, way to go about politics. And I think that is what we represent, you know. And um, you know, keeps in the open. We're not um, a small business. We're a political party. But but like a disruptive um, entity in the business sector, I think that's what keeps in the open could potentially represent in mm. politics. Mm. So for you, it's definitely not a single issue party. There's You've got your eye on a lot of areas that you think Keep Sydney Open can help. Yeah, I think so. And it's a case of taking it one step at a time because, as I say, the laws represent so much more. Um, and so, yeah, you know, when I think about the lockout laws and their impact, we're talking about small business. Mm. I mean, so many businesses have closed town, not just venues, but we're talking about convenience stores. I think Sydney must be the only city where convenience stores actually closed down, <laughs> you know, as opposed to, you know, multiply um, like they do um, elsewhere. And, and, and so, you know, we are talking about jobs and we are talking about the arts sector and we're talking about public transport that we want to mm. support an active and rich nighttime economy, we're talking about law enforcement health and safety and all of these things. So, you know, at first glance, it's um, it's a narrow issue, but we found out that it's not. And then beyond that, we realised that the kinds of people that wanted to see movement on the lockout laws were so diverse. It's not just people who are artists and creatives. You know, there's people of all stripes love a night out mm. and love having a city that is vibrant, not just during the daytime, but at nighttime too. So, you know, we see ourselves as unifying people of different stripes. And to do that, yeah, you know, we have a look at how do we engage with people in terms of political discourse. And we're seeing at the moment that a lot of the messages, particularly um, on the progressive side of politics, just aren't resonating with people. So, you know, how do we change the nature of that conversation, how do we respect everybody's backgrounds and different views? We're still working it out and we're evolving. And the exciting thing about being a young political party is that anyone can really join and get involved and help us evolve, I think. So, yeah, it is more than a single issue party. Mm. And um, you've also been consulting with City of Sydney, yeah? Yeah, we have. We have. And there's been a few changes on that front too in terms of local government policy and trying to um, trying to support and allow for more activity at night time, definitely. Mm. They've been doing a great job. Yeah. Um, what do you think is the other, like, from for us, we hear a lot from businesses about um, red tape, the endless mm. red tape that they have to go through to get just the smallest change, like a, you know, put some chairs on the sidewalk or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, um, what other issues do you think the small business owners are facing? Yeah, well, look, um, any business is reliant on a customer base and clients, and so if we're talking about a bricks and mortar. Uh, business, we're talking about foot traffic. Mm. You know, obviously a lot of business heads online and there's a lot of people that know about a particular business and will travel to it as a destination, but also so much of a business, uh, particularly in inner city precincts, are reliant on foot traffic. Mm. Um, we've seen so many businesses go under. I mean, in the case of Sydney, um, we've got the light rail, which has just torn the city to shreds. And I think it will pay off eventually, but it'll, it'll take a almost, you know, five, ten years to pay dividends. Um, so 
we can't allow um, the city to to be a locals only uh, precinct, and I think people have to be enticed by the city in order for small businesses to gain an audience. Um, and and I think also when we're talking about innovation uh, within that sector as well, you know, as I say, keep Sydney open. No, we're not a business, or even. Um, traditionally seen as being involved in that sector. But how we see ourselves is creating a set of conditions within a city that encourages a free exchange of ideas, um, that inspires people, a city that inspires people to come up with new ideas. And I'm thinking about the other people who are included on the power list and there's some amazing stories out there, Mm. whether that be, uh, for example, uh, Kia Dow from Indigenous Businesses Australia and... Um, you yeah, know, Guzman and his his um, catalyzer. That's the migrant um, entrepreneur program. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, um, um, new um, organisations like Verve Super. You know, yeah. um, inspiring um, women to make super funds for women. You know, um, I think all that stuff is great. How do people come up with these ideas? You know, and how do people? Um, gain a sense of social responsibility and and get the confidence to be able to innovate. That's what we want to see for Sydney and we want to create those conditions. So for us it's a little bit meta, yeah, sure, um, but you're absolutely right beyond that and given that we were aspiring to get into parliament, then, yeah, absolutely, you know, red tape, um, those, those hurdles and roadblocks that for some reason our state government just loves putting up, um, you know, we need to remove that and, and allow for bottom-up yeah. innovation in both the business and also the art sector. Yeah. Um, what about mentors? Have you had any mentors in, in your life? Because um, it seems to me nearly everyone that I chat with who's gone at all far with their career has had some people that have either inspired them or helped guide them along the way. Is there anyone for you that stands out? Um, yeah, I guess I guess there's um, there are a handful of people. I mean, and it depends because, you know, I've worn a few different hats yeah. in my time. And, and well, I guess a better question is um, how important uh, are mentors to someone's success story? Mm, 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 mm. Well, look, I think really important because I think there's a tendency for a lot of people, you know, when you are trying to push the boat out, it can be a bit lonely sometimes. And you can feel like you're facing the battles that you're facing alone. Um, it's really easy to feel like your problems are unique. But when you have mentors, and I have had mentors, you know, in the television industry, in the music industry, and also in politics, um, you know, it's just really important to hear that someone has been down that path before Mm. and that you will face um, certain issues, certain criticisms, that uh, it will be difficult uh, and, um, and potentially how to navigate around those issues. I think, yeah, it's really important. And, um, and I think sometimes um, those mentors might even have um, real nuggets in terms of, okay, well, this is what you do. And then, yeah. you know, I mean, like, for example, um, with the political party, you know, I spoke to someone in particular who um, comes from the finance sector who is... Um, um, who's quite uh, adept at fundraising, for example, and just, you know, little things there that I just would have never thought of, you know, in terms of approaching people 
and trying to bring them on board um, to potentially support um, whatever it is that you're doing. You know, things like that, I think, are really important. Navigate a grant application. (laughs) Oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, there really is a bit of a science to it. (laughs) So what's next for you given, sadly, you didn't get the the seat that you wanted? Yeah. Yeah. How active is Keep Sydney Open going to be in the next year, two years, Mm. until we get what we want? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Well, look, um, basically, you know, I mean, like, it's been a real labour of love, you know. I mean, I haven't gotten paid for this and neither has anyone else on the team. It's been a matter of um, doing it because we believe in it and we're committed to seeing this issue through come hell or high water. So we will definitely be there and um, and we are currently. There is a review into the lockout laws that's currently underway. Submissions are being sought by the government. So I wouldn't encourage anyone out there either as a business or as an individual to contribute a submission to the review. And I think it will be decided come September this year. So we're a part of that process. Uh, also... Even though we um, didn't get a seat in the election, but we were the best or one of the best performing new parties, debut parties, I think, in political history. And so we really want to develop that. And a lot of people still don't know that Keeps in the Open is a political party. So um, being in our first election... And when the coverage was on television, it was on the ABC and uh, Anthony Green, you know, probably mentioned our name 200 times throughout the course of the night. So people know who we are now and uh, in many ways I think um, we have more support than ever. So we feel a sense of responsibility to the people who voted for us and to the people who may potentially vote for us at any subsequent elections and uh, and we really want to develop um, what our identity is and the ways in which we go about change-making in New South Wales. So, yeah, there's so much work Mm. to do. Uh, And, um, yeah, we're absolutely committed. because for the long haul. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we love Sydney. That's at at the heart of all of this. And a lot of people talk it down and it's really easy to compare it to other cities and feel like there's something lacking. But there's so many inspired and hardworking people here and we just want Sydney to reach its full potential. Mm. And uh, in terms of um, the election, was that a steep learning curve? Oh, <laughs> wasn't it ever? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, politics is difficult, yeah. really, really difficult. And I think we were kind of naive in a way in which um, we kind of don't really see ourselves as being in politics. We still see ourselves as being a good grassroots campaign, which we still are. But, um, yeah, I mean, at times it got really messy, you know the criticism and the misrepresentation and, you know, people just fabricating things and those things spreading because of, you know, the ease of spreading misinformation on social media. Mm. But then on the flip side, um, there was also that, um, yeah, I guess that, that, that real heartening sense that we were making an impact and we had people from all areas of New South Wales, you know, we ran in 42 seats and, yeah. you know, people in inner city Sydney and we had people right up in Ballina and right to the Victorian border in Albury and Murray um, 
you know, something about our campaign struck a chord and people said, you know, I want to stand up for Keep Sydney Open in my local area. And it was just amazing to get that support, get the amount of votes that we did. And um, and so I guess um, in terms of what we've learned, I think we've learned that there are a lot of people out there that want to be active and that want to put their money where their mouths are and um, stand up for something as well. Um, and, yeah, we, we, we need to navigate all that messy stuff and I think, you know, we'll continue to um, do the best we can. Um, but uh, but also I think that there is, we learned that there is a space for a new approach to, to politics as well, you know. I mean, like we, we polled 9%, you know, in, in some seats, which is, which is huge. Yeah. And Especially just, for a brand new party. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So, you know, I think we learned that to some extent, we even though yes you know some things are formulaic and there's a reason why um there's a reason why something is a rule in politics but i think we also learned that you can forge something a little mm. bit different and and unique and you know to trust our instincts um when it when it felt right i think so yeah yeah well there's a very big um cross bench now and mm. so a lot of independents have come through Seems like um, grassroots politics is making a, a comeback, and people are really fighting for issues that they believe in. Mm-hmm. So, when we win, keep Sydney open, <laughs> lockout laws are gone. What are you going to be fighting for next? Yeah, well, as I say, look, um, for me, in terms of lockout laws and the nighttime economy and that and that space, you know, I think about venues I think about the streetscape I think about the dance floor and it's a great equalizer you know I mean all the people that I've met in the last 20 years of going out you know everybody from doctors to tradies to you know heirs to multi-million dollar fortunes to poor people and you know people who are still figuring it out and unemployed people and you know you can find something in common with all of these um wonderful people that you meet on a night out and so to me there is that sense of social cohesion Mm. and if we're using that as I guess the motivator for wanting to get rid of the lockout laws and yeah there's a shit ton of work to be done (laughs) and uh, you know in terms of I think what we're seeing now the trend is I think for a lot of people all over the world to be let down by their governments and so people have to take charge and I don't necessarily mean in a you know, in a real rabble-rousing way. But, I mean, you know, if 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 the government isn't setting up, um, you know, a particular kind of um, fund for an area of the arts or an accelerator program or a mentorship program, then do it yourself, you know. And we're seeing where, you know, governments are falling short when it comes to, let's say, um, sustainability initiatives. We're seeing a lot of... Um, um, entities in the private sector really take up the mantle and mm. embed that within their um, their mission. So, you know, I think um, that's what we want to see more of and we want to um, still be advocates in our, in our own way. And, yeah, it's not just about nightlife for us. It's about creating, a, you know, really, um, I think, rich and harmonious society. And so that definitely doesn't begin or end with a lockout laws. So. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think I can't let you go without talking about rage, though. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, It's got to be like an Australian institution. Like everybody I know would turn on rage. How was it for you programming? Well, ah, look, it was amazing. You know, I mean, it's a dream job, and I love music, and I still, I still have a weekly radio show. I volunteer at FBI Community Radio Station in Sydney, and uh, look, I just love music, and that opportunity to be able to engage with artists that you admire, um, you know, for over an hour and spend time with them and talk about their favourite music is amazing. And my tenure saw um, the saw, saw through the 25th and the 30th anniversaries of Rage mm. and the fact that it's still there I think is testament to how embedded it is in Australian pop music culture. And, um, yeah, it was amazing. I mean, you know, everybody from interviewing you know, Midnight Oil to Nana Cherry to Marilyn Manson to Giorgio Moroder and just, you know, all these legends. Um, and, and also to be able to put interesting content in front of people as well. You know, I'm a real nut for obscure content and, um, and you know, it might be a band that you love, like let's say, um, I don't know, Mental is Anything or whatever. Uh, and, um, and, you hear the one or two songs on the radio all the time, but what about, you know, what yeah. about the other forgotten singles and videos that they came up with and just digging for that stuff? I mean, it was a real dream. And as far as being a music programmer is concerned, I think it's the best job in the country. And I can't believe I did that. It's amazing. <laughs> Any um, regrets? Would you, would you want to return? <laughs> well, look, I mean, I think, um, I think one thing that threads a lot of the people on the power list together that, you know, you, you've got to keep moving forward. And I think it's really important either for an organisation or for an individual, I think, to keep moving forward and to keep evolving. So whilst I love that job, yeah, I could probably do that for the rest of my life. But I think, you know, I've, I've done that now and it is searching for a new frontier and a different way to make a difference. So, you know, I was happy to um, vacate the seat for someone else who's going to bring fresh ideas to that role and, um, you know, me using my experience both in that job and from outside of it to, to do something new as well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for, for what the future holds for sure. Do you DJ still? Yeah, I do. I do. I do. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's fun. Not as often as I'd like to, but, yeah. um, you know, it's always fun to be able to engage with, that pe- with people on that level because, yeah, seeing people just, just uh, you know, kind of forget uh, forget themselves on a dance floor and, you know, people smiling at strangers and, uh, you know, the way that they interact with each other on a night out when it's at its best, I think, is, is, is just sheer joy. So, yeah, yeah, love, love DJing and we'd love to see more spaces where you can DJ in this city. <laughs> thank you, Tyson. It was lovely Thanks, talking Seth. to you. Yeah, likewise. Yes, thank you. And that's it for First Act. Don't forget, if you're looking for small business inspiration or advice, head to koshisbusinessbuilders.com.au.